Welcome to the Parkcast series, episode 46, Group Care. The Parkcast series brings evidence-informed child welfare practice to life by highlighting literature reviews from the Particle Archives. This podcast reviews existing literature on group care for adolescents, including models of care, how the quality of group care is assessed, and the use of evidence-based practices in this context. A discussion of a recent report on the state of residential care in Ontario will also be included. Dialogue continues to mount across the field of child welfare about the best way to provide out-of-home care for youth. However, there is a limited research base from which to make these decisions. The question of focus seems to be, how do we know if we are serving our youth well in out-of-home care? First, we need to clarify what is meant by group care. In both research and practice, the terms group care, group home, and residential care are often used to refer to an out-of-home or residential placement setting where a child or youth lives with non-kin in a licensed care environment. Most often, this terminology does not reference foster care settings. In order to maintain a focus on group care, in itself a complex topic, this literature review will not include studies on foster care. Secure residential care, also known as secure treatment program or therapeutic residential care, is the most intensive or restrictive form of residential care, which focuses on the care and treatment of adolescents with a diagnosed mental health disorder, commonly antisocial and disruptive behavior. Youth in secure residential care settings require both treatment and educational services in conjunction with relationship building in the family and community, as is promoted in all group care settings. There are negative views of group homes held by a handful of commentators, both publicly and in academic literature. One of the primary concerns is that the great costs of group care programs are not well justified by rigorous outcomes research. The outcome literature on group care is scarce. Current knowledge about its effect on targeted outcomes is mostly based on studies with small, non-representative samples and weak study designs, lacking control groups and standardized measures. In fact, little is known about the specifics of staff behavior, attitudes, and actions that impact youth well-being. One author referred to this phenomenon as the group care black box, with known inputs and outcomes but no understanding of the inner workings. Who accesses group care? Many young people in group care come from families living in poverty, experiencing homelessness, illness, and a host of related systemic social problems. While these challenges are often systemic in nature, the realities are felt at the individual level. Group care workers report feeling this tension that the problems they seek to support youth in solving have solutions that are not within their reach. Understandably, at entry to group care, many youth are experiencing emotional and behavioral challenges. Disruptive behavior is characterized by externalizing behaviors, including physical and verbal aggression, non-compliance, disregard for rules or others' rights, impulsivity, 
and excessive activity. Left unaddressed, externalizing problems will likely persist and frequently result in challenges throughout the life course, including education, career, and financial. The Symptoms and Functioning Severity Scale, SFSS, has been used to assess the disruptive behavior of youth living in residential care. The SFSS is a 24-item scale designed specifically to measure changes in both behavioral and emotional symptoms over the course of a treatment, which researchers have tested for use during stay in group care. While the researchers caution that this tool should not be used for diagnostic purposes or to act as a foundation for service decisions, it does seem to be an acceptable alternative to longer measures, such as a child behavior checklist for progress monitoring. Different Youth in Different Types of Homes Farmer and colleagues looked at the characteristics of youth who were placed in homes that used the teaching family model compared with those in homes that did not use the TFM. The goal was to explore whether group homes in the same geographic localities are serving distinct types of youth. In other words, are youth being placed in homes with program models intended to serve their needs? In the sample of 554 youth across seven teaching family model homes and seven non-TFM homes in the U.S., authors gathered data around four groups of variables, demographics, child welfare and juvenile justice history, prior residential placement, and mental health status and service history. This study ultimately found that teaching family model homes were serving a greater proportion of youth from the child welfare population. TFM homes serviced significantly more youth who were currently in the custody of the state, and non-TFM homes served a majority of youth who remain in their family's custody. Non-TFM programs were found to be supporting youth with more severe psychiatric problems and histories, including higher levels of symptoms, higher rates of prior hospitalizations, more medications, and polypharmacy. Commonly, youth involved in the child welfare system demonstrate higher rates of mental health concerns than the general youth population. This study raises concern about the ways in which placement decisions are made, and if, in fact, the severity of a youth's psychiatric problems are better met in non-TFM or TFM homes. These findings are one of the first in the research to explore differences with the amorphous of group homes, that black box we referenced earlier. Further evaluation of the services provided in group care are required to disentangle the placement decision process. Researchers are attempting to break open the group care black box by beginning to explore the differences between group homes. While not generalizable, these findings highlight a nuance that is present in other studies as well. Little is known about the exact program parameters being offered in teaching family model and non-teaching family model group homes. This study of differences suggests that much more research is needed on the processes and practices that result in observed placement patterns and potential differences in service delivery. Group homes are often lumped together as a category, but there appears to be differences in the types of youth served in various homes. Reflecting on your experience with group care in the past, what is one research question you have? What area would you have wanted to know more about to support your decision making? In what ways does the research support or contradict your experiences?
service and treatment models. Following are three residential program models that have the most published evaluations of their program. However, the quality of these evaluations vary. This section is not meant to be an exhaustive examination of all program models. Rather, it is intended to highlight the variety of evaluative evidence and the range of approaches to group care programming. Teaching Family Model, TFM. The Teaching Family Model, or TFM, promotes the use of behavior modification strategies within the broader context of organizational and system change. The TFM is well represented in the literature. In 2002, an annotated bibliography listed more than 150 research studies on the TFM, covering topics such as treatment procedures, program fidelity, and practitioner training. TFM includes the following core elements. Careful selection of prospective teaching parents who are often married couples working as a treatment team, comprehensive skills-based training of these treatment providers, role of teaching parents as professional practitioners, 24-hour professional consultation, routine use of proactive teaching interactions focused on positive prevention and youth skill acquisition, the use of a client-peer leadership self-government system, thorough and recurrent professional and community evaluation of the performance of the teaching parents, requirement of annual reaccreditation based on these evaluations, an emphasis on family-style living and learning in a normalizing care environment. The TFM model is rated as a promising practice by the California Evidence-Based Clearinghouse, with child and family well-being outcomes being the key focus. TFM is a manualized program model, thus should be implemented with a focus on fidelity. Sanctuary Model This model informs both clinical and organizational levels to support the creation of a trauma-informed community. This model adopts a trauma-informed method for either creating or changing an organizational culture to more effectively support healing from psychological and social traumatic experiences. The sanctuary model has several explicit features that constitute the foundation for creating a shared vision and common goals among the treatment staff. The model places emphasis on nonviolence, emotional intelligence, inquiry and social learning, shared governance, open communication, social responsibility, and growth and change. The sanctuary model is not manualized, however training is available to guide its implementation. For full implementation in an organization, a rigorous initial assessment is required, including reflection from leadership on readiness to implement the model, as well as site visits from a trainer to assess the organizational culture. A quasi-experimental study reported significant effects on coping skills and on aspects of therapeutic program environment. In addition to coping skills, this model of group care targets self-esteem, trauma symptoms, behavioral problems, parent and peer attachment, and problem-solving skills. However, research evaluating the effectiveness of the sanctuary model is limited. According to the California Evidence-Based Clearinghouse criteria, the model is considered to be promising. Children and Residential Experiences Practice Model 
Children and Residential Experiences, or CARE, is a model designed to improve social dynamics in group care settings through targeted staff development and ongoing reflective practice. This means learning through focused attention on one's own practice. CARE uses an ecological approach to help agencies transition from simply maintaining compliance or meeting performance measures to creating a living environment that provides a developmentally enriching experience and a sense of normality. A 2016 study assessed whether care implementation led to fewer documented reports of behavior incidents. Researchers collected data from 11 agencies, all with caregivers who lived in the home full-time for one to two week shifts. Care led to significant declines in behavioral incidents. These included aggression toward staff, property destruction, and runaways. However, unique to the CARE model is the focus solely at the staff and organizational levels and seeing measured improvements at the youth level. Further research is underway to evaluate the effectiveness of the CARE model on organizational climate, behavioral incidents, and adherence to the CARE principles. These principles include developmentally focused, family-involved, relationship-based, competent-centered, trauma-informed, and ecologically oriented. Perspectives of workers. There are a small number of qualitative studies that seek to learn more about the perspective of workers in group care settings. Successes and inherent challenges in taking on the role of non-custodial caregiver for youth in need. For example, Lee and colleagues explored the factors that contributed to a child welfare worker's perception of whether a youth in group care was a good candidate for family care and how well the worker's perception predicted a youth's return to family care. How do workers decide where a youth will be best served? This study surveyed child welfare workers about what they perceived to be youth's barriers to transitioning from group care to family care. These open-ended narrative responses were followed up six months later with administrative data of the youth's actual placement and compared these to the worker's prediction. While there are limitations to this methodology, namely the reliance on self-report data, lack of structure to participants' responses, and the small non-randomized sample, the study presents a few interesting insights. In particular, Workers' responses suggested that youth characteristics, such as problem behaviors, criminal behaviors, and mental health needs, may be viewed by workers as obstacles to family placement. Further, youth who were seen as having a capacity to connect with adults were nearly five times more likely to be considered as good candidates for family-oriented group care. Another study, also using qualitative methodology, aimed to learn more from workers about the inherent conflict in maintaining professionalism while in a caregiving role. Workers experienced conflicting feelings in managing closeness of relationships with youth group home residents and reported experiencing guilt about their inability to give adequate attention to all children equally. Group care workers also expressed challenges in maintaining consistency in the content of care. Workers often felt pressured to prioritize the needs of the majority of children over the needs of an individual child. As with many elements of group care, the nuances of the relationship between different staff and residents are not known. 
There is a great variety not only in models of group care, but in the organizational culture, even within homes, that promote the same philosophy of care. The culture or climate of a group home will set the shared expectations and beliefs for staff that impact how support and service are provided to youth. These elements of culture and climate can also either facilitate or hinder attempts to adopt evidence-based practices and evaluate service provision. Consider the group care settings most commonly used by your organization. Is there a particular treatment model that is adopted in these agencies? What information is available about the content of care? That is, what happens in the day-to-day -day delivery of care? Assessing the quality of group care. A key challenge in collecting data on the effectiveness of group care is the diversity within this type of care itself. As previously described, there are a variety of structures and care philosophies that fall under this placement category. A further element to this challenge is the lack of consistency in outcomes measured, as well as the difference in characteristics of the populations being sampled. Much of the current literature on group residential care focuses on regional programs in the United States, with little focus on the potential variation both between and among group care facilities. There is a clear gap in the literature representing any evaluative studies in the Canadian child welfare context. While this is a barrier for current child welfare practitioners and group care providers, there is an ongoing opportunity to evaluate current practices to build the literature base and gain a better understanding of the practices in place are having the intended impact. Unless programs in any facet of child welfare service, group residential care included, are being evaluated for effectiveness of the stated goals of the program, we cannot say with any certainty that we are having any positive impact on the children and families we serve. Assessing quality of care is important as multiple studies outline in their introductory paragraphs. Residential care is costly and potentially impactful on the lives of youth and families. It is imperative, therefore, that we understand if our money is being wisely spent and if the impacts are as positive and long-lasting as we think they may be. Evidence-based practice in group care. What does that mean? Generally speaking, manualized evidence-based practices were not designed for, and have rarely been tested with, youth in group care settings. In this context, evidence-based practices is a term referring specifically to manualized interventions that have sufficient evaluation in a particular context and with a particular population. Critical in the use of EBPs is implementing the intervention with fidelity and developing an evaluation to ensure effectiveness. Choosing one element of a program or model to incorporate into practice does not permit an organization to say the original model has been implemented, nor is it likely that the original goals of the model will be reached. We encounter difficulty in evaluating the effectiveness of different group care models when information about fidelity or the content of care is not included in evaluation literature. One study developed a questionnaire the Group Care Worker Intervention Checklist to gather information about the actual happenings within group care, what they refer to as the content of care. 
In the face of uncertainty around the fidelity of implementation and the day-to-day -day practices within group care, the Group Care Worker Intervention Checklist is one example of a first step toward gaining a better understanding of the inner workings of a group care setting and the extent of the use of evidence-based practices. The reliability of the Group Care Worker Intervention Checklist was found to be good when tested in the Netherlands with a sample of 212 youth in care. However, the tool has yet to be tested or utilized elsewhere. Conclusion. Where to now? A recent report by the Residential Services Panel, herein referred to as the panel, outlines findings from a system-wide review of residential services in Ontario, reviewed ministry documents, and surveyed key stakeholders on behalf of the Ministry of Children and Youth Services in Ontario. The panel outlines nine key themes around which to organize attention on improvement for residential services in the province of Ontario. These themes include governance, voice, quality of care, continuity of care, data and information, human resources, youth justice, First Nations, Métis, and Inuit young people in residential care, and unique contexts and geographies. It is important to highlight, as the panel and the broader literature do, that there are many dedicated, well-intentioned, and thoughtful service providers in the child welfare sector who are striving towards the best possible care for youth in group care. There are systemic and cultural barriers to implementing the level of care required. The themes identified by the panel, taken together with gaps in the research literature, highlight the great amount of work there is to be done moving forward with group care and child welfare, including determining the nuances of the content of care and its variations across group care settings. Further, evaluating the effectiveness of program models on the outcomes and well-being of youth in group care is integral to improving future care. Key Summary Points There are a number of settings and care models that fall under the category of group care. However, little rigorous outcomes research and a lack of literature dealing with the actual content of care leaves many questions about the quality and effectiveness of group care for children and youth. The group care setting may be inherently challenging for workers who aim to balance discipline, relationship building, and therapeutic elements of care. A 2016 report by the Residential Services Panel outlines nine key themes around which to organize attention on improvement for residential services in the province of Ontario. What these nine themes, as well as the literature, highlight is that the barriers to quality care often lie outside the grasp of individual workers, children, youth, and families. There are systemic barriers to implementing the level of care needed. You have been listening to the podcast series, episode 46, Group Care. 
The ParkCast series is produced by Practice and Research Together, a membership-based organization that promotes the understanding and use of evidence-informed practice at all levels of the child welfare system. For more information about and additional resources on this episode's topic, the ParkCast series, or Practice and Research Together, please visit www.parkcanada.org.